Hi there, Osha here. Thanks for downloading the show. I'm glad you could be here. Um, it's our first show back for 2021. Before we get into it, uh, you're probably aware that podcasts, they're free to listen to, uh, but they're not free to make. And some podcasts, like this one, employ people to help them be more awesome. I have an executive producer who organizes all the guests and, and helps me coordinate my times and schedules and things. And I have an audio producer who cuts it up and makes it sound far more awesome than I could ever do it. And I need to pay these people what they're worth. So you might hear some ads right now. If you do, thank you for helping me pay Andy and Rachel. If you don't, boom, you won the lotto. And you're just going to hear Nick Cody say something rad. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. What I've learned in my year off booze is I've had a few breaks before. I've done three months here and there. I'd normally... Each year before the Melbourne Comedy Festival gather or opening night All-Stars, whichever show I'm on, I'll take five or six weeks off booze building up the tour show and then I'd like to do the gala spot, do my best gala spot I can possibly do, walk off stage, have a beer, ready. And it's like you've earned that one. But last year I had a newborn son. I was a dad for the first time. I was doing breakfast radio, getting up at 3.50 every morning, you know, doing stand-up every night and touring every week and just exploded. And I thought this year, I didn't know how shit the year was going to be. I just thought it would be a nice year to have off booze, but uh, I'm pretty happy that I did it. That is comedian, breakfast radio star, podcaster, and future children's book author, Nick Cody. And this is Better Than Yesterday. Welcome to Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. This is a podcast called Better Than Yesterday. It's just designed to help you make today just a little bit better than yesterday. You're going to hear something on this show. I guarantee it. Every show, you're going to get. You're going to hear something that'll help you make today better than yesterday. You'll hear something you need to hear today. 
That's the thing about this show. That's why I really like making it. Because I hear something I need to hear every time. Monday, I speak with a guest. Fridays, I speak with you. I've been here since 2013, which is, a oh, crikey, a while now. Damn. But at this, I was looking at a podcast before with Michelle Laurie. It was seven years ago. Christ, man. I've been at this for a bit, man. Anyway, we're here twice a week, and you can subscribe wherever you subscribe. Thank you very much to everybody that did get in touch about Friday show. I'll talk more about that in a sec. Um, Nick Cody's on the show today. You can find him at the Nick Cody on Instagram. He's also one part of the podcast, a mid-flight brawl, which I love. And uh, he's also on Fox FM in Melbourne. More about Nick in a moment. I hope you're good. I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're keeping well. I just wanted to take a quick moment to, I, you know, I know I talk about it a lot, but I told you I'll talk about it a bit on Monday, but... Just think about how lucky we are to have what we have here in Australia. If you've got friends overseas in, in any, any country that is in New Zealand, you're probably aware of what life is like with the COVID situation. I did see the other week in Brisbane when there was that snap lockdown for three days, there was uh, you know aerial photos. I don't know how much of a beat up it was, particularly considering the uh, outlet that I saw it on. But there were aerial photos of you know the Bruce Highway clogged, just full of people trying to escape Brisbane to the Sunshine Coast or just getting north to get out of a, a three-day-long lock-in. And uh, it kind of made me a bit sad because I've said it before, but I'll say it some more. Lockdowns and masks, they're not about you and me. No, they're not. Unless you're immunocompromised or you live with someone who's susceptible, the masks and the lockdowns, they're to protect those people, all right? Because, yeah, you might get COVID-19 and you might be okay, but you also might pass it on to someone who will not be okay. And they're the people we're trying to protect, they really are. The other day, I, I popped into our regular cafe, the one you know up the way from us, where Audrey likes to get her lamingtons, and the young one behind the counter was was wearing her mask with her with her nostrils just hanging out there. Oh, I always say something. It was a bit passive aggressive, but I said, "Oh, your masks slipped," and she went, "Yeah, I know." I said, "But your nose is is hanging out." "Yes, it is," she says. I'm like, "Fuck, I'm going to have to say something." <laughs> Could you please pull your mask up while you serve me? She gave me this look. I, I hate to say it, but I had to say it. I say it. I say it every time. There's someone who's serving hundreds of people a day. She's breathing in their air and then breathing it back out on the next person in line. She's potentially, you know, if you look at what happened at the bottle shop in Western Sydney, potentially giving it, you know, exposing all these people that, that are also coming into this this nexus point of, of the community, this, this cafe on a corner. Um, you all right there, Wolf? Oh, you can't do the thing. He's probably upset that he can't pick up a thing or something. I think that's a real communication issue here. I personally, I've got no problem. I don't, I didn't like to have to do it the way I, you know, I could have used a better word the way I said it the other day, but I'll have no problem to ask people to put their masks on. I ask my physio, uh, put his mask on. I, I ask people at cash registers, but I've got no problem with that. It's not for me. It's not for them. It's for the people who are not with us right now because I'm well enough to be out and about either in a physio or at a cafe or whatever. They're well enough to be working, but there are people in my family, my work community, people who are two hops from me who, if they got sick, it would be very, very bad, possibly fatal. And I'm sure that's the same for them. And that's the thing. Just the way the hospitals work, there's not enough ICU beds and ventilators for every person in the country. This is not how hospitals work. But if enough compromised or at-risk people get sick, the hospitals just stop working. They, they, they stop working for you. They stop working for me. And that means you, me, the lady behind the counter with the nostrils out. 
If we have an accident, if we cut ourselves, if we break a leg, if we collapse along, if a drunk driver hits us, they're totally in the wrong. We're doing the right thing, but we, we need, there's no help. The hospital isn't there. And that for me is far more scary than COVID-19. And that is why we have masks. And that is why we have lockdowns. In Los Angeles, where I used to live, it is, my God, terrifying. It's a 10-hour wait for an ambulance there. Can you imagine that? 10 hours to wait for an ambulance. And then if you do get in an ambulance, I was reading the other day, apparently they just drive from hospital to hospital for hours searching for a free ICU bed because they're running out. They're at capacity. Just imagine that. 10 hours for an ambulance. That is not a great place for the community to be in. Let's not do that. Australia, let's not go there. Think selfishly. You know, think of your family. Yeah, masks can suck. I know. They can be stuffy. They can be hard to breathe in sometimes. But it's easier to breathe in a mask than through a ventilator. Certainly easier to breathe in a mask than to wait 10 hours for an ambulance. Or sit there with your kid. That's it, Wolfie. Sit there with your kid who might need an ambulance. Can you imagine waiting for 10 hours with a kid that needs an ambulance? Fucking hell, man. So shop around. If, if your mask is super uncomfortable, shop around, make your own, do whatever you Like there's plenty of masks out there. eBay is a great spot. They're all very similar prices, all different styles. I found some that work really, really well for me. They don't fuck up my glasses and I really like them. All right. And they're the ones I use. They're great. So when you leave the house, keys, wallet, phone, mask, hand sanitizer, boom, we're out. All right. That's it. That's what we're about in 2021. That's what we're doing here in Australia. Because here in Australia, we are blessed, blessed, blessed to be geographically isolated here in our island home. We've got to protect our healthcare system. We have to, because what's happening in the rest of the world, it'd be catastrophic when you consider the, the isolation of some of the communities in our country who are so far from the kind of, you know, f- super, super high-tech healthcare that we take for granted in a city. Oh, even our baby wolf down at the park today, after we played on the slides, got the hand sanitizer out, and he knows how to wash his hands with a hand sanitizer. If wolf can do it, you can do it. Come on. Oh, man. Sorry. That's a bit ranty, isn't it, for a Monday? Sorry about that. Thanks for everybody that gave me the feedback about Friday's episode. If you haven't heard Friday's episode, it was all about dealing with an episode of the fuckets. You know what the fuckets are. You've had them. We've all had the fuckets. And I was talking about how I deal with the fuckets. And I've got to say, really great response. Thank you so much to everyone that got in touch and talked about the episode and shared the episode that's the best thing because if you would like to support this show if the show brings you value the best thing you can do for me is tell another f- person tell a friend tell a family member tell a co-worker hit share on the corner of your podcast app and, and send it to someone the fuck it's episode is actually a pretty good one I'm, I'm pretty happy about it listen back to it the other day i'm like yeah i wish i'd learned a lot of that shit when i was in my 20s would have helped a lot <laughs> So, yeah, thank you very much to everyone that's supporting the show. And the best, like I said, the best way to support the show is you can rate it and review it wherever you can, but just tell someone else. Just this week, tell someone else about the show, and that would be the best thing you can do for me. Okay, before we get into our episode today with Nick Cody, we are speaking to someone who's about to, well, is in the middle of the world of breakfast radio here in Australia. And so if you want to slip back in time to episode 303, you can find that back in the podcast feed, and that is with none other than Jackie O, an epic chat with an Australian media legend who has tales to tell about the adventure that is Breakfast Radio, a woman who's lived it, breathed it. She's still at the top of the heap. Here's a little bit 
Having to work for Today FM, knowing we were going to be going to a different station was hard for me because a couple of execs in there were questioning, why would you leave radio when you two love radio so much? And then we had that last day on air, we said our goodbyes and then 10 minutes later, Mix make the announcement and oh God, it was just horrible. Kyle was smart enough to leave because everyone was there with a big farewell party for us. Holy I mean, they thought this was our last day in radio. Holy shit. So they wanted to give us a massive party and a send off. Everyone from every floor had come up to watch our last show. Oh! And I knew 10 minutes later it was going to be announced on Mix. And then suddenly I look around and people all have headphones on. Word spread that, oh, my God, everyone's listening to Mix. As I was walking out of the building, they were ripping down our posters. That's Jackie O, episode 303. If this episode uh, has got you thinking about, oh, I'd like to hear more stories about Breakfast Radio, slide on into uh, Jackie O's episode. If you want to go real deep, you can go all the way back to episode 19, Michelle Laurie's episode about Breakfast Radio. That's a cracker. Mez is in there as well. And Maz Compton. Yeah, there's quite, I've had a number of Breakfast Radio people on the show. Anyway, let me tell you about my guest today. Nick Cody is a comedian, actor, podcaster, breakfast radio star, and future children's book author from Melbourne, Australia. He's about to kick into 2021 on Fox FM in Melbourne, joining Fifty Box and Brendan Favola on air there. Now, if you're not from Australia, that is a massive radio job. That is humongous. That's like you get to be the new member of One Direction and go straight on tour. Like It's humongous. It's a huge market. It's a really big fucking deal that he's going on that show and i'm super super proud of him nick is also one half of uh, one of my favorite podcasts the podcast i listen to without fail a podcast i support on patreon mid-flight brawl i understand it's not everyone's cup of tea because on that show alongside luke heggie uh, nick and luke they dissect instances where people basically get drunk on planes and fight each other that's the premise of the show but it's about so much more than that and i really do enjoy it cody himself is impossibly confident and he's incredibly talented. And we talk about how when I met him, I was just so blown away because he's carried himself in such a way. I didn't realize he was just in his early 20s. Um, we met in New York and um, we talk about that on the show today. And um, he has gone on to do some humongous things. He's appeared on TV in America, on Conan O'Brien, on Comedy Central. He's all over Have You Been Paying Attention here uh, in Australia. And he's just, as an actor, just made his feature film debut in the Netflix film The Merger, which is out now. He's got a comedy special. It's called What Of It? I think you can get it on 10 Play. If you have a squiz around, you'll find it there somewhere. I was so happy to speak with Cody because he's just the kind of guy and he's got an outlook on the world that I'm, I'm just so happy is out there in the Australian media landscape. He's far from reactionary. He's the call it how I see it, but not, in the, I'll just say it, mate, if you get offended, it's your fault. Not that kind of way. He just, he comes from a place of, of love and compassion and empathy in his heart, but with a way of putting himself that just makes you laugh your balls off if you have balls or ovaries out if you have ovaries or anything in between. Uh, this episode's pretty sweary. So this is a headphones in, ladies and gentlemen, if you have kids in the car, but I've already said fuck it a few times, so too late uh, you can find him on instagram the nick cody he's also on uh the internet nickcody.com.au for his tour dates and things like that if we can tour again i think we might so enjoy ladies and gentlemen lovely conversation with mr nick cody thank you nick cody it's 20 minutes late and i'm sweaty from battling my yeah. fucking computer it just happens. It always happens. Man, it's all right. I do a podcast with your <laughs> mate, Luke Heggie, and um, 
don't worry. I have to battle somebody with computer issues on the other end all the time. So it's all good. Oh, no, it's not your fault. Well, uh, that's the thing. Luke Heggie, like if it's not bicycle-powered, yeah. Luke generally doesn't yeah. know how to work it. No, this was just a case of Zoom's decided to update and no, get fucked when I even get to tell you that Perfect. it's not going to load. Mate, it was nice. In that. Uh, in the 20 minutes, I got a call from the mechanic. My car needs a service. I'm a late P-plater, so I only got my P's when I was 31. So I'm off them in May. Oh. So I've never felt the rage of having the... Uh, manufacturer give you a call and say, yeah, that chipped rear tail light will be $1,500. You go, you're just making shit up. That can't be true. But here we are. Yeah, welcome. Welcome to it. My uh, nephew is living with us at the moment. He's a young man and um, he bought a car, I guess, the kind of car that he could afford. It's fair enough. But now his tail light goes out. He blew his alternator the other day, you know, $800. When you're... When you're on yeah. twenty an hour slinging yeah. chickens, uh, um, yeah. eight hundred—it's a lot of your week. And his face was just like, oh, "Fucking what?" Yeah. Yes, welcome to adulthood. <laughs> my, my, my neighbor said he'll um, he'll take it out and just silicon up the hole. But there's something in my head that's like, I think I'd rather pay the money than just have a dodgy looking tail light on a half decent car. I don't know. Oh, it doesn't even come on. That's the oh. thing. So it's got to be pull all the wiring out of the fucking thing. Because if you if you want to resell it, you've got to keep that shit up. Yeah. You can't be skimpy on that kind of thing. How did you get away with not driving for so many years, Nick Cody? Well, always lived in Melbourne, so it's pretty flat and I had a bike and I lived fairly close to the city from about 19. So I was always on a bike and then just travelling a bunch overseas and travelling for gigs and whatever. You fly somewhere to do a stand-up gig. Generally, somebody picks you up at the airport and you go to a hotel and then it's the hotel's near where the gig is. So I've just never had to do it. And then a child comes along and you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah, that was the, the tipping point. My wife said it is very funny, the material you do about being over 30 with no licence, but in her words, I'm not catching a fucking Uber to the hospital. So... <laughs> <laughs> and... It's so harsh because she's the sweetest person I've ever met. So when that comes from her, that's a, yeah, that's next level. <laughs> I was trying to think the first time we met, I think it was uh, in New York City. It was the fir- Certainly was. First time we met somewhere on the Lower East yeah. Side eating dumplings. Yeah, no, it, w- it was the day before the day you're thinking of because it was 2012, New York Comedy Festival was on. Yeah. And again, your mate, Luke Heggie and I, we were, uh, we were doing a split show at The Stand in New York, which is a great comedy club in New York. And there was a blizzard. I remember there was some massive blizzard, some big weather issues in New York. And one night, Heggy, myself, and another comedian, Tommy Daslow, had stayed out all night. We were staying in the That's same right. house. And for some reason, I don't know why, we thought Daslow should hold on to the keys. And in hindsight, he's the least, we should never have given him the keys. He lost them and we're just stuck outside in a blizzard. And you offered for us to come up. You were staying at an incredible hotel in Columbus Circle and it was nice to go up and see what happens when you try and succeed <laughs> in entertainment. And we're just going, we're going back to sleep in a triple bunk bed like we're on a fucking Navy ship. It was. <laughs> Did I let you stay? <laughs> well, it was early, It was pretty early. It was like 6.30 or 7 in the morning. I, I think it was like, man, just come up, chill out here for a bit. 
wait until the bar opens and you can go back and uh, right. pick up the keys. Oh, good. I don't remember that. Yeah. It was, a, it was yeah. a difficult time in my life. I think I'd only recently been divorced and there's a lot of memories hazy around that time. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I remember hanging out with you and, and Luke in New York yeah. feeling ever so bohemian and clever and walking around and staying in weird B&Bs and uh, eating dumplings on Sir Mark's place. <laughs> and watching you do your stand-up, I remember watching you get high fives out of people on the front row, just the the confidence. I'm like, fucking hell, man, this bloke's got... And then Heggy's like, I don't know, he's like 24. I'm like, you fucking what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, I love that you felt bohemian walking around St. Mark's Place where I just guaranteed had a hangover. I was uh, drinking a lot and, uh, yeah, there was a wild time. And it's nice to know too that at a low point in your life that's a bit fuzzy for you, you're still at an incredible hotel in New York City eating nice dumplings. So <laughs> your bottom's all right. Oh, well, the, the actual bottom was a <laughs> little uh, both before and after that. The proper bottom came a little bit after that. I got even sicker after that. But now, though, I'm, I've caught you at the – by the time this airs, you will have been back on it. But um, this is mid-December. You are yeah. towards the end of 12 months of not drinking. Yeah, I'm on Heineken Zero. A zero alcohol beer. You know what they say for people in my special super secret sober club? Zero alcohol yeah. beers for people with zero problems with alcohol. If I touch that, I will fucking 100%. bite through my front door with my teeth and lug my sick, sorry, <laughs> fucking busted hip ass up to the bottle shop. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I've learned in my year off booze is I've had a few breaks before. I've done three months here and there. I'd normally... Each year before the Melbourne Comedy Festival gala or opening night All-Stars, whichever show I'm on, I'll take five or six weeks off booze building up the tour show and then I'd like to do the gala spot, do my best gala spot I can possibly do, walk off stage, have a beer, ready. (laughs) And it's like you've earned that one. But last year I had a newborn son. I was a dad for the first time. I was doing breakfast radio, getting up at 3.50 every morning, you know, doing stand-up every night and touring every week and just exploded. And I thought this year, I didn't know how shit the year was going to be. I just thought it would be a nice year to have off booze, but uh, I'm pretty happy that I did it. And what, you did it just because you're like, there's only so much bandwidth and I've got a lot to tackle and if I throw booze on board, it's not going to all work out? Yeah. It's either quit a few things or just don't drink for a year and you can do everything you want to do and you'll have time for more, you know? (laughs) Have you noticed how much more money you've got? No, because I lost about 80 tour dates. <laughs> this is true. This is true. And, and zero alcohol beers, they charge you $40 for a slab or 36 bucks for a slab. It's like kombucha. It's a fucking racket. It's, yeah, it's cordial. <laughs> it's, it's a fucking joke. That's one thing I do remember when I stopped drinking. I was like, Jesus, I've got like thousands of more dollars every month. What is this? Oh, it's because I was doing 200. I was just like every day was 200 bucks at the ATM just yeah. Brainlessly, like, you know. But any withdrawal made after the first three beers was one that I wouldn't really remember no. or have any decision in. It would just happen. <laughs> yeah, it's, but it was interesting too, talking to some mates as well that I believe may be in your super secret sober club. Oh, yeah. And some of them have that thing where it's because they asked me why I stopped drinking and I told them and then I asked them and they say, oh, man, I drink and shit the bed and drive my car into a school. And you go, whoa, all right, now I'm just bloated and a bit sad. I think we're on different, yeah, right. you know, we've got different issues. There's a thing I had to sort out, but it's very different from what they had to sort out. <laughs> and they said the same thing about these zero beers. To me, 
it turns out I just like liquid. <laughs> In your I, hand. You like something to do. Yeah. I like yeah. opening a drink with a bottle opener. I've actually, you'll appreciate this, an old oh, yeah. master of none, yeah, yeah. Luke Heggie. Bit of merch. Limited edition. Oh, that's only five bucks with a handshake at the uh, at the merch tent from Luke Heggie. <laughs> I'll pay ten not to touch it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know what you're saying, but I would put it to you, Nick, that getting bloated and a little sad was what I was a couple years before I got really bad. Definitely. And, and that it's like a set of tram tracks is that yep. once you're on it, once you've kind of reached a certain velocity, it really only ends one way. It's going to take however long it gets there, depending on how yeah. fast you want to go, but that is where it's going. And, yeah. the, you know, there's certain people that are able to keep kind of below that critical mass and that can yeah. kind of bounce along. But then there was people like me who got, I got on the other side of it and I wasn't able, I was on the other side of the hill and I just wasn't able to slow it down no matter how hard yeah. I tried. And I'd tried before, I'd tried, I think the longest I got was maybe 10 weeks. Yeah, wow. But every time I, I got back to it. Now I have shit like that in my hand. It's what like, is that? Oh, it's just a little thing to that play with. Chucks? Just a little, oh, no. little legend of a bloke named oh. Kaiko made it for me. A little bloke called yeah. Kai. Yeah, yeah. This company's called Kaiko. It's really heavy. Oh, it weighs about half a kilo. And yeah. um, I just sit here and roll it in my hand. Oh, so it's like a stress ball, but it looks like two maybe double A battery. Oh, a bit bigger. Oh, uh, it's made out of um, bicycle parts. So I think it was a bike pedal or an axle or, or ah. something. He makes them out of bike bits, which is also what he has make, makes ones out of bike chain. And I've got all kinds of things. But Andy, my producer, says, "Can you stop playing with the noisy things? Because I can't edit them out of the podcast, <laughs> you numpty." I did hear a child in the background, and I did. I thought, "Is that yours or mine?" There <laughs> it's, are just it's mine. two little men running around, <laughs> yeah. making a noise. Oh, that's Wolf. But yeah, so yeah, I had to learn all of that. I had to learn how to be just standing in a room without something in my hands. Yeah. Which sounds easy. Yeah. But it isn't. You know what I like? This year, for the first time ever, I went to large sporting events sober. So I went to the – I was in – I was doing Triple M Brisbane breakfast and in or at the start of August this year, I well, last year when this comes out, stage four lockdown in Melbourne, I thought Brisbane looks pretty good. So we, we got to get up there and did two weeks quarantine with the kid and that was another thing that I'm like, I'm very happy I'm not drinking in a room. That's how The Shining starts, yes. you know, so I didn't, want, I didn't want to do that. But to go to a function, like a function before the AFL grand final for four hours where yeah. everyone's drinking and I'm just drinking soda water. Then you go watch the AFL Grand Final. Had an amazing time. Thought it was going to be a bit shit without booze. It was heaps of fun. The best bit of the Grand Final is the walking out because you're seeing people that can't find a gate. They're just bumping into walls and stuff, and you, it feels like you've got superpowers. You're like, mate, it's just there. It's in front of you. If yeah. you walk straight, you'll exit the venue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and that that was me for <laughs> I don't know how I've been to an AFL grand final when I was still drinking, and I honestly don't remember leaving most of them. I remember like, you know, third quarter, and then, then I'm at an after show somewhere, and then I'm at Cherry Bar, and I don't exactly yep. remember how I got from time <laughs> travel one to the other. Yeah, the great New York comedian David Tell, when he f- referred to it as time travel, I love that. <laughs> just bang you here, bang you there, bang you there. You know, it just happens quickly. I don't know if you felt this too. When you stop drinking for a long period of time, you um, if I go to a pub for lunch or something with some friends, when I walk out, I brace myself to have to like, all right, man, big breath, you're going to get home, then you're going to have a shower and then you, you'll be right, just get – and you walk out the front, you're like, I'm fucking fine. I can do <laughs> can do anything. I got home after the grand final and I did some work. 
my wife was looking at me like, how was it? I said, brilliant. I've just got to do some stuff now, then go to bed. The best. That's so good. Now, tell me what it's like when you're going out, because as a non-drinker, it took me, I had to take quite a while to, yeah. until I was all right with being in social situations again, because I was around a lot of, it's like if someone quits smoking, you know, they have to be very careful around traffic lights, yeah. answering the phone, like little things where they would, the habit would start, right? The little tree yeah. begins the habit. So I'd have to be very careful around those things. And I started to have these exit points and points that I would have the phantom at, and I still do the phantom. If I hear right. someone tell me the same thing twice within five minutes, I'm like, I'm going to go now. That's my cue. That's when you're not going to stop drinking and this isn't going to get any more fun. I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah. There are certain times that I just think about my son will wake up around 6 a.m. So I start thinking, is it worth being here over the extra sleep I'll get if I go home now? <laughs> you know, and is it worth only getting four and a half hours sleep because I heard somebody telling me three different business ideas they've had since they went to the bathroom for the fifth time in 15 minutes, you know? <laughs> I don't think it is. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yeah. my God. At least when I left Brisbane, it was only speed. Uh, <laughs> very different times in Rio de Janeiro these days. Oh, my God. You came to Breakfast Radio in Brisbane as a clean skin, didn't you? You'd never done any radio before. No, I don't, the only radio show I'd ever had was a community radio show in 2008 with Tommy Little. He went nowhere. Yeah. He, I don't know what he's up to now. I hope he's all right. Thomas Little. Mm. If anybody can look him up, I hope it's all good. But, um, yeah, had never had a radio job, just doing stand-up. A lot of appearances on different radio shows, but no. Because it's a completely different beast, the breakfast radio gig. It's worse for a stand-up because you are someone who is in the public eye for being consistently funny. What people may not realise is that thing that you're consistently funny for took you best part of nine months to write and yeah. hone and sharpen and get together. The moment you speak any punchline from your material on the show, it is burned. It is gone. You can never do it again. Yeah. You are expected to deliver how many talk breaks an hour? Six talk breaks an hour. You're supposed, yeah. to, you're supposed to deliver minimum 36 punchlines a show. Yeah. Every morning, every week. Yeah, it's a different. <laughs> it's just completely different, isn't it? Yeah. I fought it so much at the start. And again, that was a... Another reason for the year off booze, I just, that that year last year, I just treated radio as if it was a thing I just had to get up early for and that was it. And it was a two-year contract and I thought, come on, Matt, you can't finish this job and then look back in five years and think, you didn't give it a proper go. Just have a legitimate crack at this thing. And it, somebody that I was working with said it's a marathon, not a sprint, and it's just such a different style of comedy than stand-up is. And one of the things that I love about it is that it is it's things in stand-up. If you were talking about news stories, you could only do it in stand-up for maybe two weeks before that news story is gone, but it's a different fuel that you burn in radio. You're just churning through stuff every day and it's just little things that you can talk about are just so time-sensitive that you can't cover in stand-up. And yeah. that's the thing I like the most. And hearing people's stories. I love just random people calling in telling me when their teeth fell out or they had to pull out a tooth or when did your truck get stuck and just these silly phoners and people have these great stories. It's 
a very, very difficult thing to do. I tried real hard to do it. I didn't nearly did it for nearly two years, and I could never put it together. And it, it broke my fucking heart because all I wanted to do when I started, I started in radio. I did five years yeah. of, of mid dawns. All I wanted to do was radio. And then Take Forty was like a solo show, so it wasn't really yeah. a team show. All I wanted to do was be good at breakfast radio, and I wasn't good at it, Nick. <laughs> what, did, what didn't you What didn't you like about it? it well, it was a four hander, and I was yeah. down the line. So that oh, was hard. Down the line is a punish. I had to do a lot of that. It's not fun. So it was a forehander and it was down the line and that was hard. I tried to explain to my wife who was asking me last year while I was having a tough time and I said, imagine imagine there's a group of people at a house party having the best time and you can see sun coming through the windows because they're having a house party in Queensland. It's beautiful. And then you're in a little room in Melbourne and you can see rain going sideways and you're at the party in Queensland, but on an iPad. Would that be a fun party to be at? No. <laughs> That's exactly what it was like. Yeah. Trying to be a part of the meeting, trying to be a part of putting it together. But, but I think as well, Nick, I think something in my heart, I wasn't able to flick a switch. I can get very serious and try to want to dive into the why behind things a little too much. Yeah. And I just got too serious, too fast, too often, and I couldn't turn it off. But that, broke my fucking heart. Yeah, so I have a problem where it's constantly looking for a joke, which is also a problem in breakfast radio. When there are six people in a car crash and my brain's going, don't say, don't say, don't say, don't say, don't say, just all the time, don't make fun of that news story, don't say, don't say, don't say. And so I assume we had the same problem just from... Well, my, my problem got me uh, not a radio job. Your problem's got you fucked breakfast. So it's <laughs> 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 Which is incredible. You know, when you think about what you did, my and I, and I say this a lot, he's been on this podcast, my old manager, John Ferreter, an amazing guy. He's like the granddaddy of non-scripted uh, reality hosts. Ah, Okay. In the States. He's an incredible guy and he was my manager in LA and he used to say to me, only you know how hard you've worked to make your dreams come true. Yep. And I say this to G all the time when, you know, we're talking about her exams or whatever. I'm like, yeah, you know, you can get 87 or you can get 65 in an exam. Is that the hardest you tried? Great. Then go yeah. to bed, go sleep. But only you know when you lie in bed at night, only you're the one that knows, yeah, I probably looked at TikTok for about three more hours than I should have the night before the exam. You're yeah. the only one that knows that. We don't know that. Mum and I don't know that. But you're the only uh, one. You're the one that's going to have to live with that, not us. And it seems like there was a moment, kind of you touched on it before, but I'd love to kind of like trying to expand about it because not everyone's going to get a breakfast radio job, but everyone's going to face this time in their career when you went, hang on a second, I should really give this a fucking go. What was it? Did you look at other like the wasteland of stand-ups who tried and failed? Did you look ahead and go, oh, Doug Mulray or Jamie Dunn or Stav, 12, 15 years or whatever, the fucking survivor of Australian radio? <laughs> like what was it that made you go, I should really give this a shot? Well, it was one of those things that I just, um, I've read so many biographies and seen so many documentaries on comedians and performers and whatever that just, Forget it's almost like they forget why they got into it in the first place, and you let drinking and whatever else it can take you away from the path of what you actually enjoy. And what I remembered is that I think my favorite thing in the world is when a new bit goes well on stage. I can be in Vegas at the UFC as a guest of the UFC, drinking and partying, and go to this place and go here, and it's insane, and I love it, but. I know my favourite feeling is you worked hard on a bit and now the bit's going well. So I thought, why don't I try and figure out what my radio version of that is? 
and it was just turning up and not treating it like stand-up, realising there is a team of people that can help audio engineers and people with different ideas and, hey, I want to talk about this thing and I want to build something around it. Can you help me build something around And then when that thing goes to air and you get good feedback and it just sounds good, I went, great, there we go. I want to do more of that. The podcast with Heggy, the same thing. I'd started a podcast before and it took two years to do 10 episodes. And I thought, fuck that. <laughs> I know what I like doing. I want to talk about it with Heggy every week. If I can focus on this, it'll get better and better and better. And we're 40-odd episodes in and it's going great. That's such a, a fucking amazing reframe because, like I said, not everyone's going to go for a gig on Breakfast Radio. In fact, I don't know what how many gigs are there left in the country. Six. Yeah. All right. And as far as being the funny man on the team, I don't know how many teams there are that can have that. There's probably, yeah. I don't know, three of those jobs and you've got one of them. So it's not that everyone can, you know, yeah. aspire to that, but everyone can definitely figure out what you've just described. What's the thing that makes me the happiest? How can I get that out of the job I'm in right now? And if I'm sure, Nick, if you weren't able to get that other job you're in right now, you probably want to go and find something else to do. Yeah. Well, that's why I, I love stand-up. And the fact is, again, it's that, that certain amount of bandwidth a day. And I, the only thing I regret before having a child is I didn't quite understand how much time I had in a day. <laughs> now I fucking know. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm on radio holidays at the minute, but I'll get up at 10 to 5 to go to the gym to get back to just help my wife with our son. And I'll, if I do a gig at night, I sometimes I'll go to the gym afterwards or I'll record podcasts with Heggy late at night. I understand how precious time is, you know, and I, he's growing up super fast. I've, I just want to be good with the time. Because it's never going to happen again. No. Well, look at Wolf and I had to be away for work like a couple of weeks ago, even like when I went for my hip surgery last week. Yeah. Right. I was away for three days. I came back. I'm like, you, you're different. Your head's different. Your face looks different. You're bigger in four yeah. days. I don't, I don't want to miss any of it, you know? No, and heck, you told me he would come to Melbourne Comedy Festival and has done every year. And he said, when your kids are that small and you go away for four weeks and come back, they've just made these massive leaps. Yeah. I'm so glad that you know Heggy because he's such a yeah. fucking incredible human. I've known him since I was eight. Nuts. Yeah. And... Just love that one day he went, yeah, sure, I might have two master's degrees. I want to do stand-up. And then I think it was 12 weeks from that to yeah. winning Triple J Raw Comedy. Yeah. <laughs> He's insane. He's insane. He just screwed his head on and went, okay. And that's just how he attacks every fucking yeah. thing. It's amazing. He's almost like this born identity character that if you meet him now, you don't realise the the past and all the incredible jobs and the travels. And oh. I actually, a couple of days ago, listened to an episode of this with him on it from back in, it must have been 2013 or 2014. And he was talking about some overseas trip where he met up with you, but I don't, he hadn't told me about that trip before. We must have been hanging out for eight years and I've never heard him mention it. Yeah. And anything I've... Yeah. done that I think is worth anything. Everyone's heard 15 times. <laughs> Heggy's like, oh, yeah, I forgot I ran, rode over the Andes on a pushy. Of course yeah. you forgot. <laughs> Shut up. 
He, he rode his bicycle around Tasmania. He rode his bike around New Zealand. He rode, he followed the Tour de France on a tandem with his wife. Yeah. Is, have you ever seen him speak French? Yeah. Like yeah, to weird. a French person? Yeah. So we went into a uh, cheese place in Melbourne on Spring Street. Yeah. This is a couple of years ago during Comedy Festival and, and we'd been to the gym and we just looked like shit. In filthy gym clothes, sweaty, we walked downstairs and the French guy that ran it started saying something obviously negative about us in French and Heggy cut him off and went, whoa, 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 before you go any further, I speak French. (laughs) 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 The guy almost melted and Heggy told me what had happened and I was laughing and then they were having the best chat. Yeah. And Heggy apologised, you know, it's insane to say. I remember seeing his son his son was in a high chair, must have been around two, mm. having dinner one night, and he was yelling at Heggy in English, his son, mm. just a two-year-old, cracking mm. the shits, whatever, it is what it is. And then his mum, Heggy's wife, said something to him in French, and he said, sorry, papa, and then went, ba 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 in French. Yeah. A two-year-old. And then back to arguing with dad in English, <laughs> back to the mum in French. It's, it's the best. crazy. The house is insane. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> He's yeah. I, I remember we were we were riding tandem bikes around Paris as you do, yeah. Just after uh, his eldest daughter was born, and um, someone stopped him for a, someone stopped him for directions. And Paris is you know is a fucking rabbit warren, and yeah. you know Heggy's speaking to me in his in his perfect Bourbon Street Queensland drawl, like yeah. nah, rah, rah, and the way he speaks. Um, yeah. And then he goes, oh, one second, man, hang on there. <laughs> yeah, man, anyway, yeah, he just wanted to know what, <laughs> like, yeah. what the fuck just happened. That's what you- I imagine technology, how to work in the future. Like I'll get a chip in my forearm that'll yeah. let me do that. Yeah. There's nobody with his voice that should be speaking fluent French as well. <laughs> well. I think it's because, and he probably hasn't even told you about this, he's an extraordinarily accomplished saxophone player. No. Yeah, he's a very, very good saxophone player. I think it's because he's got such a well-trained musical ear. and that's how, that's how he can play that little mandolin thing so well. Yeah. That he hears the nuances in the tonal differences of, of – that's why he can speak without an accent when he talks. It's yeah. fucking amazing. Sounds like my baby really needs to nap. Yeah. As a poo situation. Oh, yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah. Oh, how there is, is it's, it? It's a good one too. I yeah. Can tell it for how is he? Will he tell you that he's doing poo? Um, you can kind of tell he gets the face on. Yeah, does yeah. He, my my son does the we call it the red smile. He goes, <laughs> he gets fully red and just this big, big smile. I call it order in the court because he he reaches forward on the high chair and you know like <laughs> council approach the bench, but he holds the edge of the high chair, and leans forward and just goes. <laughs> it's great. And he wow. bangs the gavel. Some force. <laughs> the other hand, he's literally banging Order. Over the other. Order. Yeah. It's great. I love it. It's it's so fascinating. And, you know, of course, it makes you be so on your toes because, you know, just the nuances that he picks up from me and Audrey, you see him doing it. It's like, oh, you're just literally a mirror of everyone around you. Fuck. <laughs> Better be on my game here. <laughs> Yeah, I hope, that's why I actually take more tour dates than necessary because I want him to spend more time with my wife, his mum, than with me. I'm like, please pick up all of her attributes. She's the best person you'll ever meet. I, I'm just going to stay out of the house until you're 18. <laughs> tell me about 
tell me about Mid-Flight Brawl. I adore this podcast. I'm very jealous of it because, A, you don't need to wait for a guest booking, uh, which was the one thing that I really did wrong when I first started this podcast is I can't do a new show without a new guest. And so I'm always up against it, <laughs> which yeah. kind of sucks. Uh, but it's a different show altogether. But B, just the premise that it allows the two of you to then kind of commentate further on the society that we live in is what I really, really love about the show. Yeah, so if you're listening and you haven't heard our podcast before, it's called Mid-Flight Brawl, and all it is is each week Luke Heggie and I break down a different air rage incident. And you may think, how many fights have been on a plane? Four? You're being correct. <laughs> Tens Today. of thousands. This, Yeah. It turns out people can't handle their piss and they fly a lot. And... um the thing that we've enjoyed about it the most is that it's scumbags are in all levels of life. You know, you've got business class, first class, dipshits, you've got economy, jet star assholes. They're everywhere. They're flying everywhere. They're going everywhere. And Heggy and I talk about it from a place of being part bogan. I think we're both part bogan. We're like daywalkers. We're like blade of bogan. Like we come from it and we can spot it and we can hang around with it and we can also leave it and commentate on it. We're not too far into it. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, that's the thing. It's not uh, having certainly witnessed Heggy in, in some of his more larrikin-y behaviour yeah. over the years. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, he's certainly not someone who's above it. He has told me a story before, and I've got to check with you if this is true, and you can feel free to cut it out. Did you ruin a very famous movie for a line of people in Brisbane? The ending of a movie. Probably. Yeah. Which movie was it? Well, do you want me to say what he told me? Yeah, because I probably don't. I was probably, I, I, was, I was just thinking about this morning as I was having a pee, standing on one crutch, thinking about my life, going, Jesus Christ, I was a fuckwit back when I was younger. <laughs> so that would probably describe what you're about to tell me. By the way, the standing while taking a piss is one of the reasons I gave up booze for a year as well. I was sick of being drunk in a vent, and you go to take a leak at the urinal. And I'd just be looking at another wall that's got shitty band stickers and graffiti on it. And I go, am I back here again? <laughs> <laughs> I need a timeout from bad urinals. <laughs> but the movie, he said it was The Sixth Sense. Oh, my God, I did too. Yeah. And there was a, a line around the block at a cinema in Brisbane waiting for it. And you, you yelled out, he's been dead the whole time. Sorry, I should have said spoiler alert, just in case anyone <laughs> hasn't seen <sighs> The Sixth Sense. I probably did do something so fucking stupid. I, I, That's yeah, pretty funny. This is the thing. The things that I would do, uh, that was a part of the drinking, by the way. Yeah. That urge inside me to be this kind of naughty kind of yeah. spoil sport, yeah. vindictive kind of cunty person. Yeah, what I've never seen you drink. What are you like as a drinker? That guy, but worse. Worse, yeah. Yeah, I would just I'll get weird and aggressive and shouty and and mean and um, petulant and this kind of low self-esteem that then manifests as being kind of overbearing and too loud yeah. to try to be in control of a situation and grabby and slurry yeah. and embarrassing and inappropriate. and Not fun. Yeah. I didn't like yeah. me very much. That's fair. Yeah. I've had, yeah. I've had those thoughts. <laughs> I would say we had a, we're in the kind of neighbourhood, which I adore now. We are in the kind of neighbourhood that has a street party at Christmas time. And it's just the Mate, greatest I, thing ever. I was just at one yesterday. It's 
the fucking best. Yeah, I loved it. And last year, the last two of them, I have been maggot <laughs> blind. Last year, and this is this is what again one of those don't drink things. Last year, the day after the street Christmas party, I was flying to Las Vegas to shoot a thing for Virgin Australia and Delta, and it was a thing called Bris Vegas to Las Vegas. Even Perfect. though I was living in Melbourne, I was doing radio in Brisbane. And we were taking my comedy from Brisbane and then performing a show at the Comedy Cellar in Las Vegas and doing a bunch of stuff in between. Now, my brain goes, hey, you big bloated dickhead, have a few weeks off booze in the lead up to that because you'll be filming something. And then my brain goes, no, mate, it's all right. That's three weeks away. You can cut weight. You've done it with two weeks to go. Then it becomes, man, all right, this next 10 days, no milk in the coffee, all right? We are shredded, all right, bro. Then it's, hey, man, no carbs with any meal, all right? We've got six days to turn this bad boy around. <laughs> then it's the Christmas party the day before, the street party, and I think just have whiskey. The only way to be shredded tomorrow is whiskey. <laughs> then you have some whiskeys and go, fuck it, I might as well have beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The fuckets. They're the things that get you every time, the fuckets. When you get the fuckets, that's the you have just described the the justification spiral that lends us all into all kinds of trouble. But someone asked me, like, are you sober? I'm like, yeah. And I said, she said, is that okay with people drinking? Man, what's it like? I said, yeah, what what were you like? I said, well, if this was me when I was drinking, we've only been in the neighborhood a year. I would have already said something inappropriate about that person's wife. I would have yeah. You know, tipped over the esky while I was trying to get a beer out because I'd already had six in the pregame. You know, I would have yeah. said cunt way too loud in front of all the kids. Uh, yeah. And then turn around next week and ask people to approve our DA, you know, <laughs> and then wondering why they all said no. Yeah. It was nice too because I was just able to help out all day and then this morning had to get up at six to go and drop the car off. Yeah. This is what's weird all of these thoughts about not drinking and I still think, well, I said I'd do a year. I did a year. I'll have a few beers. I'm going to wait until January the 2nd, though, just to annoy some people. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now, have you got any, when it comes to getting back in the, in the swing of things, have you got any, I don't know what should I put this, flags that you may have may have planted along the path, some little memento, little scribbles that you've left for yourself to go, hang on, mate, if you get here, you may want to think about taking another year off? No, well, how I'm treating it is like an athlete with a knee injury. So their, their knee was good for a very long time. Then the knee got injured, so they had to have a rehab on the knee. 
But is it going to be a situation where they run out on the field and the knee blows out again straight away? And you think, hang up the boots. <laughs> but the point is you've got to run back out on the field to see how it goes. <laughs> right. <laughs> How's your wife thought about how it's gone? How's your relationship? Great. Much better because I'm, I'm very helpful. Right. Helpful all the time. Instead of just thinking work, 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 sleep, sleep, sleep. It's like, no, man, you got, you're only 33. You've got more energy in that. Big dog, come on. You can get stuff done. <laughs> I've just been a lot more help. We want to have, you know, you want to have more kids and there's a lot of things we want to do. And as I said, yeah, it's that it's that bandwidth and I just think about the amount of stuff I have on in a day. All I want to make sure, the scribble is, as soon as that changes, it's out again. Right. It's good that you've had, like a year's a decent whack. Yeah. And I love beer so much that Carlton United Breweries made me the face of one. And I love beer. Yeah. I was the face of Carlton Dry. They sent me Carlton Dry. I was in ads for Carlton. I love it. Love beers. Can't wait to have more beers. But if it affects my favourite thing, family and friends aside, that new bit's working well, yeah. we're out again. I'm happy to hear you say that, Nick, because it's, yeah. it's rare that I can remember it. And I've been you know, in this industry since well, 1992 as I started, but I was in radio yeah. from 94. I've never seen anyone do what you've done to start, you know, off Broadway and two years later land in the corner fucking pocket at Fox. That's fucking amazing. Well, yeah, a lot of people build it as like it's – but it's so – because I – again, I've, it feels like a weird thing to say because it's always just been stand-up, stand-up, stand-up and it, get Brecky Radio and people tell you this Brecky Radio thing, Brecky Radio, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's great. It's great fun whatever, but I'm not thinking about it. But people keep saying, Fox, biggest station in Australia. Blah, blah, blah. You think, well, I better, I better put in a good effort then. Well, I think it's, it's more what you can build out of it, you know, it's particularly at a time when the industry and the mediums and the formats are so malleable that you can really kind of build and create anything you want out of it. The great benefit is that not a lot of radio people are good at telly, but you're good at telly. So, you know, that's really exciting for me. As someone who has four jobs on on, yeah. <laughs> on four separate TV shows, I should have one. But yeah. How do you do four? You don't drink. I don't drink. And I have someone run my calendar for me. Great. Yeah. That sounds good. But what I guess what I'm saying is that the pool of people in Australia who are able to be on telly and host stuff is not as big as a lot of people think. Yeah. Because it's not just standing on camera and talking. Yeah. It's not just reading an auto cue. There is a lot to it. People will laugh and scoff when they hear yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they've given me those. Um, what's the best way to describe the TV shows? I chose to. I didn't choose to. I got offered to host them, and I thought, "Yeah, I got to pay for a wedding." That was one of them. Oh, and yeah. the other one was uh, I got told the control I'd have over the show was a lot different than what I got. I feel like when I turned up. The best way to describe it is um, Pesci when he gets clipped in Goodfellas. Right. What are we doing in the cornfield? Oh! Yeah. No, it's Casino, but similar vibe. Oh, right, right. The other one where he turns up to the meeting, he's going to get made and then it's an empty room. Thinks he's about to be a made man. And he goes, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's it. One of them was, mate, we want like a Daniel Tosh, Tosh.0 style. We want you to make fun of these clips, go hard. Do you want anyone to help you write? on this show to make the thing set? And I said, of course, 
Luke Heggie. Yeah. So I got Heggie and we wrote all these brutal stuff on these clips, couldn't wait. And then you turn up and there's beige chinos and a blazer. And I went, oh, no. This is funniest home videos with a new name, isn't it? Got me. <laughs> uh, I guess breakfast radio becomes... Like the thing is that you will always do stand-up. You'll always have that job and you are now at a point where you'll always be able to put food on the table for your family from that. Yep. And everything else comes on top of that. With Breakfast Radio on top of that foundation, you now have this ability to build this familiarity in the public sphere that will allow you to do so many more exciting things, which I'm fucking excited for you about, man. That's what I like. I like fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't. I'm not saying people don't like fun things, but I like when new opportunities pop up. Do you want to go to this place and give this thing a go? I'm always like, yeah, of course. Who wouldn't want to try a new thing? That's part of the reason I signed on to Brecky Radio in Brisbane. It's like, what? That sounds crazy. I've never lived in Brisbane before. I've never, yes, I don't know anything about rugby league. I'll have a go. (laughs) Brave. Uh, You're lucky so many Victorians moved there, so your uh, obscure AFL references would have at least landed somewhere. Yeah. It is nice to be back in Melbourne, though, where I don't have to say the Essendon Bombers, uh, <laughs> describing every team with the suburb in front. It's <laughs> so bombers. It is fun, though. I do look forward to it, and I wonder what it'll be like getting to do it in the studio in this city that I'm obviously I yeah, yeah. grew up in and live in. If it all, I th- I felt Brisbane for a little bit. It felt like doing hill sprints with a weight vest on. It's ruthless. Br- and then for the first half of the hill sprint, I was also drinking heavily. So <laughs> that didn't, never helps a hill sprint. No. Um, <laughs> are you close to South Melbourne where you are? Yeah, fairly close. 10-minute drive in the morning or a 25-minute bike ride. So Pushing I do man. ride in some days, which are uh, it's good fun. It's hard not to be awake because the yeah. first stretch I go down Mount Alexander Road and the middle of this year it was some mornings it was a degree, like just one. And you're just f- flying down and you you do wake up pretty quickly. It's a good alarm clock. Yeah. I love riding my bike when I could ride my bike to work when that Bachelor Mansion was in the city. I oh, love yeah. riding to work because you get there and you're sharp and you're awake and you're ready. And yeah. then riding home, everything that was punished during the day is gone. Yeah. It's out of your body by the time you walk in the door. Yeah, there's something nice about getting somewhere on a bike because they're all generally there's always going to be a part of that trip that's a bit harder than the rest and what are you going to hop off your bike and push it up the hill no just embrace the shit bit get up there and you're a lot you're like yes i should be doing how are you feeling at the minute after the hip surgery when can you hop back on a bike oh right so it's been we're recording this i'm 12 days out okay bit of a rough one today it's up and down because the best thing that I can do for it is to mobilize it, but the thing that it makes it the most grumbly is mobilizing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's this fine line of how much walking I do and how much yeah. mobilization I do. I'm a bit weird today because it was quite grumbly last night and I needed to take painkillers in the middle of the night. And no, so I spent basically jam. my whole day coming down off synthetic opioids, just yeah. like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Which are brutal. I do not like them. And very weird as a sober person to yeah. feel a drug coming on. It's very strange. I sent you a text about it, just checking how that it all yeah. go. I wondered how that would make you feel. You know? Yeah, weird. And 
Yeah, and I know we spoke about this, and I was, I'll, I'll say what I what I told you is that, yeah, I told Audrey straight away. You know, when I popped that pill into my hand, and I necked it, and I said to Audrey, just so you know, in my brain, it just figured out exactly which medical centre I should go to, which doctor I've never seen before, and knew exactly what to tell that person to get another box of these when they run out. Yeah. Um, just so you know, that guy's yeah. still here. Yeah, <laughs> it's been about ten years. Yeah, but he still lives inside of me. He's quiet most of the time. Like it really yeah. is. It's, it's barely the way I describe it. Is we have we're lucky enough to have two cars, but one of them's a European spec. So you get in the other car and you go to turn right at the end of our street, but you turn the windshield wipers on, even though oh, yeah, all yeah. the evidence is there. Your brain just automatically does this thing. Yeah, it's like that's all it is. It's no nothing bigger than that. It's just an automatic response. Yeah, it's not how I actually feel and what yeah. I actually want to do, which is a lot of the thing that people I think miss about addiction is that when you get into it deep enough, you are merely a chain of automatic responses that are unstoppable, just all running yeah. off the next one. And you actually can't do anything about interrupting it. Once it begins, you cannot stop it until yeah. you are incapacitated through the sedation of the alcohol. And it could start with anything. It could start with... I don't know. Boredom. Looking at a tiny little bit of porno online. And then, oh, yeah. oops a daisy, now I've got the tinkle. Oh, onto the sports bet. Oh, fuck, now I feel weird about that. Oh, I better have a beer. And then, yeah. next thing you know, it's fucking two in the morning and there's four empty bottles of red in your house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've um, bought a whole bunch of shit on eBay you didn't need. <laughs> I've done that thing before where I've swapped, like had time off social media. I'll try and take a month off, a year or whatever. Because I that my brain is just... I can stop something like this for a year. I can just go cold turkey, don't need to talk about it, just have a year off. And I'm lucky I had no, you know, I've got friends of mine, again, in this super secret club when they gave up for a time and they were having physical withdrawals and mental yeah. withdrawals. And my thing was I noticed a couple of weeks in, went to fly to Brisbane, went into an airport lounge, and the first move is always grab a beer. You're in the lounge, <laughs> grab a beer. Uh -huh. And I turned up at the bar and the... Waitress said, what would you like? And I went, a coffee? I just didn't know. <laughs> coffee. Just hands up. I don't know. I'd always say beer. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I feel bad. I've lost, yeah, lost a number of mates to drug issues and stuff and I don't think they're, uh, they're not choosing that. They're not waking up in the morning and thinking, this is what I'm going to do today. It's just, it's on. Yeah, and that's a, a lot of big misunderstanding about addiction I think, is that it's a choice. Yeah. It stopped being a choice. The drinking stopped being a choice probably years before I stopped. It was something that I was not able to control once yeah. it began. In the same way that, say you're reversing a manual car down a driveway, right? Yeah. And your brain, at the first time you do it, you've got to think so much about, okay, riding the clutch, foot on the brake, checking everything, how's the back left corner, da 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 Right, by the hundredth time you've done it, you've got the radio on eating a sandwich on the phone, you know, yeah. and all this stuff's automatic. All that shit your left hand and left foot and right foot are doing, completely now an automatic response. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that it becomes. It becomes a thing you're, once it begins you're unable to stop what happens next. Yeah. And it just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. And can go, then the days become weeks, become months, become years. And it just keeps going around and around and around. And you, you know, you're sitting in there going, this is bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> I should really fucking stop this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
which is full on. Hey, would you think now, 2021, yep. would you get into stand-up now? Yeah, it seems like a different time. But I, I remember like when I started stand-up, there were older stand-up comics saying, oh, now's harder because of, you know, there's these different festivals and, you know, back in my day you'd get in and then you get on, hey, hey, it's Saturday and you're sorted and now it's different. But I figure it's always going to be different. But people that get into it now, I know some older comics don't like the fact that young comics now won't hang around for a whole show to watch if there's a headliner, like an established headliner, they won't watch them and they think that's a weird thing, like you should watch and pick up some of the skills, even if you don't like them comedically. But at the same time, you've got Netflix, YouTube, Stan. You've got so many places to watch stand-up and learn about different styles and techniques. And there's so many different ways, I think, to build a stand-up career now. There's people that do it through YouTube. There's people that do it through festivals. Other people do it through clubs. Some people build followings through Twitter. Yeah, but can that... uh, You've still got to do the work. On a stage. There's no other way around it. Yeah, yeah. Part of me is like, you might be very fucking good on YouTube and Twitter, but when you're number three on a bill of yeah. eight and someone goes, fuck off, cunt, yeah. in the middle of your three-minute long story about your grandma, yeah, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> yeah, you still... Well, that's why I think some of them have just built up a fan base without ever having to go through that, Yeah, which is a... Maybe it's a smarter workaround. But I, I just think it's so much bigger now. Like so many more people know about stand-up. There's so many more places to watch stand-up. There's more rooms, more opportunities, yeah. a chance for younger comics to go interstate and work in different clubs and stuff. It's a, it's a great time, great time to start. What's it like when you notice you start to lose the room? What's it feel like? Um, yeah, that's a... Because we know what it's like when you got them. Yeah. The laughter just keeps rolling. It's like you're keeping a balloon in the air. Yeah. We all know what that sounds like. No one's going to record the stand-up, release a stand-up special on the night they died. Yeah. All right? Oh, no, Andrew Dice Clay. It's one of the best albums ever. It's called The Day the Laughter Died. So I think his special before he shot at Madison Square Garden or something insane. Yeah. And the next one, he just turned up to a club called Dangerfields in New York on like a Wednesday night before Christmas and there's a handful of people in there. They don't know him. They hate him. And he's filthy Andrew Dice Clay for an hour, just bombing. That's great. That's, that's insane. So besides, besides that, I guess what I'm trying to get at is <laughs> yeah. we don't really, we generally don't hear, unless we're in the room, what it's like. What's it feel like? I know what it's like for me when I'm hosting a gig and I lose the room. Oh, yeah. What's it like for you when you're standing up there and yeah, you're like, definitely. oh, fuck, man, that light hasn't shone I've got 12 more minutes here, yeah. motherfucker. Everyone's bombed. Every good comic has bombed a lot, you know, because that's just how it works. I feel what's hard about a bomb is that I don't think many people can understand the feeling of what it's like to be on fire on stage and everything's going great and you're just having a killer set. I don't think many people know that feeling and they're not even thinking about it because they're having a good time laughing. When you're bombing, everybody knows what it's like to feel shit and embarrassed. And I think the spread of that vibe in a room is everybody's like, yeah, we felt this, we felt this. Oh, no. Oh, no. I feel bad for this guy. <laughs> Versus where it's just in the moment laughing. Right. And I think the more and more you do, the more stand-up you do, you realise there is only a handful of outcomes at a gig. 
there's only a certain amount of ways it can go and you just see those time and time and time again and hopefully your reaction to whatever way it is going helps you lead it back towards the good one. The nice thing about a bomb is that most people, you can get over it quickly. I heard a comic, a UK comic said, regardless if she's had a good gig or a bad gig, by 11am the next day she stops thinking about it. So if it's the best gig of her life or the worst gig of her life, but to be honest, if you're going to bomb like that, it's generally at a corporate and I just think whoever's booked me, there's YouTube. You can watch many clips of me to get a vibe if I'd be appropriate for your function. And so if I'm not, that's not on me anymore. I just think there should have been some work done beforehand. Whereas if people have paid to see me and I'm having a rough one, I think, God, this is bad news. They've come along thinking we're going to have a great time. (laughs) But again, I'm I'm lucky now. The solo shows, you don't get it, but corporate gigs, whoo. Yeah, I'll bet. Do you dissect when things don't go well? Do you try and fi- reverse engineer it and figure out what might not have worked? What In the moment? Yeah, or like that afterwards going, how do I make sure that doesn't happen again? Because obviously that's where you learn to make sure it doesn't happen. Yeah, the, the hard thing though is if they've hired you for you to do your stand-up and you've got material and you know it's worked at a bunch of different places, it's not like you're going in looking at notes yeah. of stuff you've written that day. It can be hard in the way you just think, well, it probably wasn't appropriate for that place. What I do, though, if the corporate said, we want you to do 20 to 25, if I'm bombing, I'll look at my watch and make sure I do 25. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't feel like a coward. And I go, (laughs) I can walk off saying, I had the chance to leave five minutes earlier, but I tried to turn it around. And this, I've heard you and Heggy talk about this a few times, and I learned. I remember learning about it a lot when we were, uh, were doing those Channel V bus shows. We do these big shows. We had the opportunity to basically create a venue every day because the okay. thing on the way we parked trucks and the cars and all these sorts of things, we were able to construct where the people would stand and how densely packed they would be and where yeah. they would be in relation to the stage, and we were able to come up with this configuration of. You know, how many people are we expecting? We're expecting over like 300 or whatever. We put them this way. If we're expecting less than 300, let's build it like this so they feel like they're packed right in there. I don't know what they call it. Is it the comedy chasm? Like when you're at a- Yeah, the moat. The moat. The comedy moat. When you're at a function and there's a dance floor and the- the nearest people are 15 metres away from you. Yeah. Even as an, like, I only know it for, as an MC, but if people are that far away from you, fuck getting them to shut up after the dinner break. Yeah. Doesn't happen. It takes all the vibe out of the room. Like, the best thing about comedy, you think of those, like, the best clubs I've ever performed at, the comedy store in Sydney, low ceiling, people right up close with the stage, and the person furthest away from you still isn't that far away just because of how it's seated. Yeah. Those best comedy rooms in the world, Comedy Cellar in New York and the stand, it's always low ceiling, packed in. You want people close. It's like, a, hey, we're in this together. This is going to be a fun night. Look, at this is something you can't get elsewhere. If you've got that moat, that big gap between stage and crowd, it almost feels like they're watching something on a TV. Yeah. There's a connection that's lost. Worse when they are, when they've got the cameras on, if you're doing a oh. big convention or something and they're standing like sitting there with their head at 90 degrees. Looking yeah. at the big screen, well, I'm right in front of you, mate. No, yeah. I want to see a close-up shot. So I'm looking over there. And the worst combo, I think, is comedy moat and then while you're on, meals come out. Worst. The 
clinking of cutlery while I'm trying to talk. I thought stand-up comedy was my favourite thing in the world, but it turns out dinner is higher than that. <laughs> so, of course, I understand. <laughs> oh, this semi-warm beef Wellington yeah. that I've stolen because someone gave me the chicken and I gave him the switcheroo while yeah. they were in the bathroom. Just hearing clank, 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 clank. And people are making a choice. Do I listen to this man or does my meal go cold? Yeah, well, look, I'm glad that you've gone beyond that and hopefully the more that people hear you on Fox and the more that people get into your gear, they will uh, be much more wise when they book you. No, this is the best thing about stand-up. That never ends at corporates. (laughs) (laughs) The biggest names in the world still have those. It's almost a thing that I like about stand-up. There's no way out of that and it's just my favourite thing about radio and the thing that I realised I loved this year was growing up I played a lot of team sport. And I love footy, played American football, Aussie rules football. I love a team and that's what I love about Brecky Radio. The best thing about stand-up is you control everything. You're in control of the whole thing. The worst part is when you're by yourself and you've lost all control. (laughs) (laughs) And it's inevitable. I've got a corporate gig on Friday and I go in and I think, have you seen The Prestige? Yeah. Hugh Jackman, when he describes, you th- if you think I didn't have any sacrifices, he said, I didn't know if I was going to be the man in the arena or the man in the tank. And you yeah. go, that's a corporate. You walk out and going 50-50, flip <laughs> of a coin, let's see how this goes. I don't know, but I'm going to do the maximum time they've asked. <laughs> Let me see the bank transfer on your phone before I walk out. Great, and we're out. Hey, I'm not above that either. I've split down the fee into five-minute chunks and I think, mate, if your watch gets to there, it's that much more. Come on, buddy, push. (laughs) Uh, Nick, I am really grateful that we took the time to do this today. Thank you so much. I am so stoked for more people to hear you in Melbourne and um, get into mid-flight brawl because it is not only a a, a brilliant commentary on, on what not to do on planes, it's a very interesting perspective on life in modern Australia from two <laughs> modern Australians that is often unheard of outside of the, uh, shall we say, mainstream controlled press. And I, I must say, Osha, you don't just talk the talk, you walk the walk. You put your money where your mouth is. You're in there on Patreon supporting yeah. us. You've sent a message that we put in our Christmas special to the people that don't subscribe, calling them cheapskates, and I appreciate it. <laughs> it didn't ruin Christmas? Overwhelming response to that. I'm very happy to hear that. No, I'm, you're, you're not alone. There's a number of podcasts I support on Patreon because I know what podcasts cost to make. They're not free. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, the ones I like, yeah. I put money into because I, I, I legitimately get five hours of joy, actually six hours of joy out of you guys every month and that's worth two bucks an hour. Christ, you are. That's what you're worth to me, a dollar each, an hour. Perfect. All right, legend, I cannot wait to hear with you and Fifi and Fev. It's going to be fucking great. Cheers, mate. And I'll let you know how that first drink goes because just so you know, I'll be putting the toe in the pool. Well, look, if you do need to talk about it, I'm always here. Appreciate it. (laughs) Nick, have a great night, brother. Thanks, mate. Cheers, mate. Oh, so that was Nick Cody. You can find Nick Cody online, nickcody.com.au. He's also on Instagram, at the Nick Cody. His uh, special is called What Of It? And uh, he's got some tour dates online right now, nickcody.com.au. Thank you so much to everyone that helped me make the show. Rachel Barrett, my executive producer. Andy Ma, my audio producer, who... Uh, uh, 
we're in the world of big file management, uh, me and Andy and Rachel, and uh, we're dating a new file management software. And it's very exciting, I've got to say. But um, I don't know. We'll just see how it works out. We're only on our first date. So anyway, thanks, Andy, for getting us onto some new file management software. Uh, Mike Mills, the one and only Toe Hider, whose new album is just so great. Go and check out Toe Hider. He's also on Twitch. Go and find Toe Hider on Twitch for more brilliant Mike Millsian work and Haley Van Spania on the socials for helping me out make sure that I can stay in touch with the world and not get sucked into the Instagram rabbit hole you've been good you've been great thank you for being here I'll see you on Friday until we speak then sleep well and dream of beautiful things hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.